Loving God, we give thanks today for mothers. Thank you for mothers who gave birth to us and women who have treated us as their own children. You teach us how to be good mothers, cherishing and protecting the children among us. Help us mother lovingly, fairly, wisely, and with great joy. Help us raise our children to be the people they are born to be. We need your comfort here today, God, because some are missing mothers. Some are missing children. Some are parted by distance, and some are parted by death. Comfort those who have given up their child for adoption, or those who chose not to give birth and had an abortion. Comfort those who longed to be biological mothers and could not. We pray for those here whose mothers have disappointed them. We ask for grace in relationships where there is pain and bitterness, for healing in relationships where there is abuse and violence. Help our congregation be a space where people can feel mothered, their gifts and talents appreciated and nurtured. Finally, we pray today for mothers around the world, mothers who cannot feed their children, mothers who are homeless or without a homeland, Mothers who must teach their children about the dangers of bombs and bullets. Help us create a world where mothers can raise their children in peace and plenty. God of mothers, who created mothers, who came as a child and had a mother. God, our mother, loving us with a sweeter and deeper love than we have ever known. Hear our prayer this day. Amen. I'll be uh, reading this morning again from the Gospel of John, which we read from last week also. This story, that, or this passage that I'm about to read to you, is found in John chapter 14. It'll be verses uh, 1 through 14. John 14, 1 through 14. Uh, this takes place um, just before Jesus is arrested, and uh, the day before his trial and um, his murder. This is what he says to his disciples and to us. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you all this time, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage this morning for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage throughout our lives as we try to be obedient to the word of God. Amen tucked into the middle of this passage are some of the most memorable and, I would say, iconic verses from the Gospel of John. There's, do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many rooms. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and if in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. Each of these could be a sermon in and of itself and have been over the generations. Preachers have preached upon those four passages over and over and over. They wrestle with some of the rich and complicated ways in which we read and hear these verses. But I think that perhaps because of these this iconic cluster of verses, it's easy for us to overlook the confusion and fear if not full-on protest, that's contained in this passage. When Jesus, for instance, says, as he prepares his disciples for his departure, that you know where I am going, Thomas shoots back. I, I hear it almost as a bark. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Perhaps, as is sometimes the case in the Gospel of John, The question serves mainly as a prompt for Jesus to be able to say that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. But it doesn't diminish the down-to-earth and painful frustration that Thomas feels and shares with Jesus and his friends and the courage it takes for him to do that. And then I think Philip is almost audacious in his request because Keep in mind that in ancient times, to actually see the God, to see the actual presence of God with nobody being the mediator between was something that just was not to be done. But, Pete, but Philip is audacious in saying, show us the Father. Show us the Father, Jesus. I think it shows that he has a deep longing, even possibly desperation, To have a tangible sense and experience of God's presence. And I don't know about you, but I know that feeling. I know that there are times in my life when I have been almost desperate to have a tangible and real sense of God's presence with me. And I just can't feel it. And Jesus responds to him, if you have seen me. You have seen the Father. Perhaps. I think 
that it's in this protest of Thomas and the audacious request of Philip that we find ourselves, this absence, the longing, the, the, the need for more, I think we find ourselves in it. And I think maybe it's because so few of us saw this pandemic coming. Maybe it's because when we did, we couldn't imagine that it would last for as long as it has lasted. And maybe it's because we don't have a single idea of how long it's really going to last because there's so much conflicting news that can be read at this very moment. Maybe it's because this last week and the week prior, we've noticed all of the fighting around the world and the politicization of people's deaths and sickness that we need to feel God's presence even more. Maybe it's because even when things finally do get back to normal, we're starting to realize that the new normal isn't going to resemble anything like the normal we were experiencing long ago in the month of March. Maybe it's, would you get the idea? I think it's because of our isolation and our confusion and our desperation that these words in this chapter are so important to us. I think that they're a reality check for us. They introduce an idea, they introduce that there's a way for us to find hope. Even if we mouth Jesus' words of consolation and hope, it's almost hollow to us without the lament. I've said for a long time that I am afraid we have lost the discipline of lament And I think we've lost it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's preacher's fault. It's our fault as preachers, those of us who have this task of preaching, that maybe we have lost the discipline of lament and our display of poor theology. The church growth movement of the 90s and the 2000s, and to an extent of today, coupled with a focus on the afterlife and not the here and now, have led us to a place where we preachers and sometimes you congregants are trying to sell Christianity as a product for a better life, an easier way of being, a life with all of the answers, and we're going to give you a one-way ticket to heaven if you just pray this prayer and show up at our churches. But biblical lament most especially in the Psalms, but really throughout the entire Bible, was crucial in giving voice to all that is difficult to understand and endure. And it was done precisely to clear space in which you could hear from God an authentic and meaningful and hopeful message. God not only cares about our struggles, but understands them. If we don't lament, if we don't recognize the pain that we feel, the the lack of understanding, the confusion, the conflict that we experience, if we don't recognize that and lament the fact that where are you in the midst of all of this, God, we will miss out on the true message of the gospel. 
which Peter tells us is our task to testify to the one who calls us out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Jesus teaches us and shows us that God not only cares about our struggles, but understands them. So today, today, friends, please acknowledge your pain and your fear and your confusion. You don't have to pretend like they don't exist. Christianity isn't some sort of self-help system that leads you into a beautiful and perfect life that ends with you crossing over into the pearly gates of heaven. It's a dirty and rugged life, as John Moore used to say around here all the time, if there's no mess, there's no ministry. And following Jesus leads us right into the mess because it leads us right into ministry and it's painful and it's scary and sometimes it's isolating. But you are not alone. You live in God's world who has created and is creating, who came in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who spoke to us and us and others through the prophets. But we have to recognize our pain. But remember, our pain and our loneliness and our isolation and our confusion do not have the last word. They're not the only reality that we need to validate. They're not the only thing that we need to voice. We also have to give voice to the fact that we have been called out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. So once we take Philip's plea in response to Jesus' pronouncement of his impending departure, show us the Father. Once we take that seriously, then and only then do I think we can hear and accept and begin to understand Jesus' answer. If you've seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. Because the God Jesus shows us is not unmoved and is not dispassionate, is not distant and is not rigid, but rather completely and passionately engaged in our lives, is pledged to our welfare just like Chris's little creature and is committed to bringing us through all things so that we not just have life, but have it abundantly in Jesus' name. And I think also, if we can cry out with Thomas, we don't know the way, Jesus, and feel no reproach and no fear of saying such words and being afraid that we're not faithful enough, then and only then can we trust that Jesus is the way. And that way includes the cross, but ultimately leads us toward resurrection. But I think... The most hopeful point in all of this is Jesus' confidence in us. The faith and trust and confidence that Jesus has in us, even when we don't completely understand how it works, is incredibly inspiring. Listen to what Jesus says. Trust me when I say, 
that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus believes in you. Your mustard seed-sized faith is enough to move mountains in the name of Jesus. This passage changed the way that I look at the life of Jesus this week. On Tuesday morning, when we were having our Tuesday morning Bible study, which, by the way, you all should join in if you're able, Tuesday mornings at 9.30, you can find the link on our website. And that's not a commercial for it, I promise. But I really do think you should join in because I had an experience this week listening to Gary Selau and Angie and the other people who were in that group talk. I had an experience of God that reminded me that God trusts me. Not that God depends on me. And not that God can't accomplish God's will without me, but that God trusts me. Jesus says, you know the way. Jesus says, you're going to do amazing things. Do we believe that? Are we the kind of people who are willing to show our protest but not hear the words of hope? I don't think so. I think, Morningstar, you are the kinds of people who are willing to lament and show your protest and tell God the truth boldly how you're feeling and how scared you are and how worried you are and how angry you are and how frustrated you are, but you're also the kind of people who are willing to hear the hope-filled message of Jesus that you can do it. You do know the way. You have seen me and you have seen the Father. And if you're struggling with that, think about the things that Jesus has done in your life, how he's called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful life, light. Remember what Jesus has done in your life. And allow that to give you the faith today to get you through tomorrow. Because in the process, you're doing things that you don't even know you're doing that are changing the world. I hope that you know that. You have changed my life. You have changed my family's life. You have changed the life of everybody that is in this room. And you may not have even known that you've done it, but you've shown us the powerful love of God. And that changed us, which allows us to impact other people's lives as well. We are doing it, Morning Star. You don't have to believe everything you see on the news. You can believe this every time. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, I want to recognize that we have a long road ahead of us. That we're partners in ministry and we're going to get down this road together. I want to make space 
for us to voice our anxieties about the long road. But I also want to always remind us that we know the way, and we know the truth, and we know the life, and we know the one who leads us to this in abundant ways. Thanks be to God.